Hi, welcome to Guns and Homes's podcast. I'm Don Holmes. And I'm Alex Guns. And this is Marketing for the Business Curious. So what topic shall we do first, Alex? Well, I, I was thinking we should start with the fundamentals, possibly the fundamental, um, something inherent in pretty much every single thing we do as marketers. Drinking. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more along the lines of core benefit, but that's probably a valid point. <laughs> All right, core benefit. I don't really remember having long conversations about those, um, but maybe as a practitioner, we call them something else or think about them in a different way. So what do you mean by core benefits? What's that bit of jargon you've just thrown at me? Well, possibly the most famous marketing textbook is by a guy called Phil Kotler. And he breaks it down like this. He says, there's the actual product that you sell, which is the thing itself. Uh, and also it's brand name, it's color, all that good stuff. Then there's also an augmented product, which is the installation and the warranty and, and things like that around selling it. Um, but within both of those, there's the core products or, or the core benefit, as I like to call it, which is the reason that people buy that thing. So if your product is a car, then your actual product might be a blue Ford with power steering or something. But your core benefit is probably transportation and maybe a few other things. Um, and, and that just seems important because people often, when they're working in firms, they focus on the thing that they're selling. Like, oh, what features should we have? What should we do? Well, how should we make it? But the core benefit is the reason that people want to buy it. Uh, that's the reason that's, that people hand over their money. And that, that, that seems, you know, important. Yeah, it, it is important. And I think as practitioners, that's what we'd call a, a value proposition. So I think it's just a different jargon thing. So for me, that's value proposition. Yeah, no, I, I suspect that's, that's a fair translation. Uh, sounds about right. Okay. So how are we going to frame this? How are we going to talk about it today? Uh, how about with an example? Another one. And you love your examples, but <laughs> I find them really helpful. So, and I'm another one. I love examples. So let's go for it. Which, which example are you going to pick? So back in the day when I was <laughs> doing my social psychology PhD in Canada, Okay, uh, strap in, folks. This is going to be a long story. <laughs> the chancellor of the University of Waterloo, which is where I did it, uh, was this guy called Mike Lazaridis. And the reason he got to be chancellor is he was a former student who had started a company called Research in Motion, which became really, 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 really successful. Okay. So you've not heard of it? It kind of rings a distant bell, but... How about their star product, which was a phone called the blackberry oh yes yes definitely that's a a big rags to riches and back to rags again story exactly 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 okay so i, I had a blackberry myself in its heyday they were huge they were really really big so what happened Let, let's think about this from a core benefit Let, let's think about why they were successful i mean lazaridis had started off making pages for ibm and then he invented this phone with a twist Ooh, a twist <laughs> See, you, can, you couldn't just talk on it. You could also, wait for it, folks, you could send emails. Ooh, how novel. <laughs> it was then. It was, it was <laughs> that, that was really new on phones. Uh, and I mean, you know, you could kind of like, you used to have like a keyboard with like numbers one to nine. And so if you wanted to write even a text message, you'd have to press like C would be, you'd have to push one three times to get C. Yeah, you had that. like 
Yeah, it was terrible. And these had like teeny little keyboards on them, which you could type on with your thumbs. And it was super secure. It had its own operating system. Uh, and it, it made sending emails uh, a snap uh, on the go. Yeah, I mean, that's why I had my BlackBerry. It was, it was a physical keyboard with buttons and that made it much, much quicker to send messages. And it was really the start of never being away from the office. I mean, I loved it. it because it meant I never missed anything. I never missed an email if I was out of the office on a sales call or out visiting a customer or whatever. I, I never missed a thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we dread that now. Like, we can't disconnect the office ever, but it, it was a real novelty then. Um, yeah, back then, it made you feel important. The fact that you could work anywhere and your company wanted you to, to be in touch anywhere, it kind of made you feel important. But now it just make you, makes you feel stressed because everyone expects you to work everywhere. And that's a bit different, I think, these days. Yeah, you don't get the switch off time. Yeah, no. um, they were loved. Um, when the US Congress had one of its shutdowns fighting over budgets, they insisted that BlackBerry keep on working because they relied on them so much. When Obama became president, he refused the secure device that they gave him, the approved communications device you know, for the top secret stuff, and they made the Secret Service adapt his BlackBerry because he just couldn't live without it. You get away with that when you're president, I guess. But actually, I, I remember a similar time. We were, um, the BlackBerry services in the UK went down for like a day and a half. And most of the people in the office were in tears because they couldn't do what they wanted to do. Their phones didn't work and they didn't have email. Some of the sales reps were getting really, really distraught. But it was the yeah. same thing. We became so reliant on them and everybody had them. Right. So, so at Waterloo, they made this guy the chance of the university. Um, all corner of the campus was given over to this research and motion company. It was RIM uh, was a corner of the campus. There was a RIM park in town. It was just this huge deal, and everyone was using BlackBerry. Me and everybody else. Right. And, and are you still using BlackBerry, Dom? No. You know, I don't even think I've got an old one kicking about in my desk. I mean, I gave up mine probably about... 2010 maybe um because other things were just better the other things just became more flexible and allowed me to do even more things well i mean that that's the thing right so it was this huge marketing success they, they tripped into it. it it really worked but now apple and samsung even nokia they, they did things that made blackberry redundant and that that's the marketing fail that's where it all came apart okay so that's the story that's the marketing fail but where do core benefits fit in or this value proposition idea? Okay. Did the others have better products then? The ones that came after, the Samsungs and the Apples, did they have better products than the BlackBerry? Well, that's the easy analysis, right? Well, you know, they just had a better product and everyone switched to the better product. But it's not always as easy as that. Um, and if you look at Apple, if you talk to Apple fans, they'll say that Apple makes the best products and they have the best engineers. But it's not entirely clear that that's really the true. Uh, I mean, doesn't iPhone, if you compare the iPhone specs to that of a really high-end Android phone, they're, they're, they're pretty similar. So it's not that Apple are better at making cameras or better at making screens or better at making boxes to put phones in than anyone else's. And it's not that Apple was always a juggernaut. Um, Apple was nearly bust in the early 1990s. They were a niche computer maker. Um, uh, they'd been competing for decades against uh, PCs and had been sort of struggling along and then had nearly failed. And it was when the iPod came out that saved them and then later on iPhones and 
tablets. And, and what they were really good at wasn't making machines better than anyone else, it was design. When you think about the iPod, it wasn't really the first portable music player, it wasn't even the first digital music player, uh, but it just had an interface that was really, really easy and fun to use. Fun is the core benefit of using a music player, right? That's, that's why we have music players, it's just fun. Exactly, right? I mean, lots of people could make a portable machine that carried songs and piped them into your earphones. Walkmans have been around since the 80s, that have made Sony rich already. But Apple was the one that made it a lot more fun because you could find the songs you wanted really quickly with their little spinny wheel and you could have multiple overlapping playlists with different songs on it that you could pull up on the fly. Um, they just put it all right at your fingertips. So Apple dislodged Sony in that way with music players. Is that what Apple did to BlackBerry with phones? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Got to think of it that way, right? Uh, I loved my BlackBerry. I loved it for staying in touch with everything at work, but it wasn't much good when I wanted to listen to music or if I wanted to get a map of where I was going. Or yeah, uh, BlackBerry did sort of belatedly catch up with touchscreens sort of like... Uh, a year or two or three years later, they, they, they made one uh, and they tried to add some of these features, but uh, eventually they, they, they even ditched their super secure operating system and they switched to Android just to try and catch up on this stuff. But it was a bit, a bit late by then, wasn't it? Too little, too late. Everybody else was doing it better, particularly Apple. And there wasn't really a reason to have a BlackBerry anymore. Everybody had moved on. Yeah, do you, do you miss the physical keyboard? Sometimes I do, but that's because I've got quite clunky thumbs. I'm sure the teenagers at the bus stop look at me like I'm a really old lady kind of doing <laughs> one finger typing because I can't do it with both thumbs at once. Just, so, so I do kind of miss it, but actually that's a trade-off for me that I'm happy to make because I like all the other stuff that I can do because I've got a touch screen. But here's the thing. The reason BlackBerry got its big launch in the first place was not because they were amazingly good at devising interfaces that gave people exactly what they want. And it wasn't really because they made devices that were fun to use. It's because they were, it was set up by some technology nerds who had invented, it turns out, a really early way of solving this problem of how do you communicate on the go and how do you do email on the go. So these technology geeks had invented this really cool device which solved a problem that it turns out lots of people had and so it blew up and it got really big but then when firms like apple and uh, later samsung came along that started building these phones too uh, they were much better at working out how people wanted to use their phones so not just typing emails but listening to music and sending instant messages uh, and all, all kinds of stuff like that the iPhone didn't win because it's easier to type on an iPhone than it is on one with physical buttons, because it's not. It won because its core benefit, the reason you use a phone, was better. What you're saying then is that BlackBerry were really good at making product and made some really great products. I mean, I did. I literally loved my BlackBerry. I was never without it. But you're right. They didn't really understand how people might use that and what they might use it for and where they could take that. And I think Apple understood that better. It was almost like BlackBerry was designed by engineers and Apple were designed by users. It's that kind of difference for me. That yeah, Apple my... just seemed to be much more intuitive about what else you could do with it and how you might interact I... with it. 
how you could yeah, listen to music and play games and connect socially and have a, a little photo booth app. My admittedly controversial take on this is that BlackBerry were a technology company who tried to do marketing but weren't that great at it. Whereas, and here's where it gets really controversial, I think that Apple isn't really a technology company. Apple's really a marketing company that's also really good at technology. I think I would tend to agree with you. Their marketing is is brilliant. I'm not an Apple user because I think other products are better, right? Because I'm an engineer. I have to declare an interest here. I tend to look at the product specs and, and the actual detail and the tech spec rather than the hype. But Apple, for me, is all about hype. It's also about... Um, the connectivity of the products and how the products all work together get into that apple world and when you're in the apple world everything is easy you know your products connect you pick up your phone it automatically connects with your macbook or whatever it is but it's about usability it's not necessarily for me about technical specs right apple when we say when we say i mean apple sometimes gets beaten with a stick people go oh they're just a marketing company and when they're trying to beat them with it, what they're trying to say is, oh, they're just good at advertising their products and making them look good. And I agree that they're a marketing company, but I think it's not just that they're good at advertising because they don't even do that much advertising. I mean, they spend a lot of money on it, but not relative to like their operations. They spend a lot more money on building technology and putting having shops to go into. Uh, it's not that there's Apple adverts everywhere you run and that's why people have the iPhones. It's because... There's a story about Steve Jobs, apparently, that, uh, that came out after he died. The story is that Steve Jobs flew on somewhere on one of his super rich friend's planes. And he said, oh, I really like your plane. Can I have the specs for it so I can make my own? And this guy said, sure, I'll have my people send you the specs. Uh, and so then Steve Jobs took these specs and tinkered with them and tinkered with them and tinkered with them and tinkered with them and, with them and said things like, why do we need to have one button to open the door and one button to close it? We don't need two buttons. If it's open, you can close it. And if you are closed, you open it. You just need one button. And so he just made these little tinkers and changes that made all the difference to its usability. And so apparently this rich guy later flew on Steve Jobs' version of his plane. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it was better. Because for me, marketing's not about advertising and that external stuff. Marketing's also about understanding the customer and understanding what the customer wants. And if the customer wants a simpler life or fewer buttons or something that looks nicer, neater, then getting your head inside that and then delivering that through good engineering, that's good marketing. I don't think Apple's an advertising company. I think they're a good marketing company. They understand those fundamentals of delivering what your customer wants rather than building what you're capable of building and then seeing if somebody wants it, which is kind of the BlackBerry very product-focused, engineering-focused, traditional route that a lot of companies have taken. Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. And if we circle back to our earlier term, what BlackBerry focused on was the actual product, to make good buttons, how to make a little teeny joystick that you can use to move through menus in two dimensions. And what Apple were really focused on is how to create not the actual product, but the core product. They focused on the experience that exists for consumers and obviously have to get the actual product right to support that. But they were far more aware of what that core benefit was. So yeah, a little joystick works fine from an engineering perspective, but just touching a picture of a photo booth and then taking selfies is way more fun for human beings. And human beings, ultimately, they're the ones who experience the products, who buy the products, who, who use the products. So, I mean, 
BlackBerry might have put a camera on their phones, but Apple put a front-facing camera on it and then put an app called Photo Booth on the home screen because they knew that when people pick up a new device, they already know what a photo booth is and they like playing with them and taking silly selfies. And so it's just immediately intuitively obvious when you picks it, anyone who picks it up that you can play with this device in the same way. And so you, you say, ah, there's a photo booth button, you click it and then all of a sudden there's a picture of you and you can put fun filters on it and make yourself look goofy. And, and it's instantly got this play value that's sort of fun to use. Yeah, so the core benefit of the iPhone wasn't just about talking or sending messages it was doing that it was about playing and experiencing enjoyment and taking pictures of yourself and this this whole world of selfies that we're in now so in a more traditional marketing parlance because sort of practitioner speak if you like those things were their value proposition this phone is fun and it's about enjoyment and i think that's what blackberry just didn't get and didn't really keep up with yeah they they, they just weren't marketers no, I think on some level, they understand that their technology was useful to people. Being engineers, that's, that's probably very true. You know, it was designed to be useful to people, but they didn't just get deep into the world of actually what is it that people really want and how do they want to interact with this bit of technology that they're now going to start carrying around with them. But Apple yeah. did. Apple really got that. Yeah, they, they got into people's experience. That's it, exactly. So if you had a time machine then and you could go back to kind of 2010, 12, when it all started going wrong for BlackBerry, how could you rescue them and change things so that they were still alive today or still a big force today? Well, so if we take this core benefit idea seriously, what they needed to do was to become a lot more market oriented. And they needed to work out not just what they could do, but they needed to work out what people might want or enjoy in a phone and then make sure they could deliver it. Now, very easy to say, uh, much harder to do. And that's why really good marketers get paid. <laughs> that's where they make their money. Uh, well, hey, what, what's, what's, what's your option? What would you do? Uh, I'll throw it to you first. Okay, so I think for me, BlackBerry had a really good reputation amongst the business community rather than kind of people using the phones for personal use. So I probably would have focused on that and made it the best business machine you could get so that companies would buy into it. And companies would make sure that all their field staff had Blackberries, right? So I would, for instance, made it really easy to print from, really easy to access documents on. So it's not, not about taking um, selfies and playing games, but might be about taking photographs that you might need for work, okay? Photographs of buildings or situations and things like that. So make the camera more focused on that kind of stuff. Make it easier to read Word documents or access your Excel files. Maybe oh yeah, no, I like that. Stuff like on the go. That that would have been great for me, you know, being able to access files from the office just on my machine that I had in my pocket. Or if you're uh, got your B two B hat on, uh, have the company be able to send you B two B contacts straight to your phone that you can dial instead of having to everyone have their own address book. Yeah, being able to tap into the CRM system, the customer relationship management system, and even being able to integrate the phone with my car. Okay, it was a long time before you could do hands-free, and I don't think I would ever use BlackBerry hands-free in the car, um, but it's a long time before you could use hands-free in the car. That would have been really, really good. I used, when I was a sales rep, I spent like hours and hours a day driving the car. Dead time, you can't, it's not useful time. But yeah, if you no. could access the phone then, that would have been good. 
then they could have killed millions of people in car crashes as they were distracted on their sales call, <laughs> driving around. Um, could have been a major commercial success. And I, <laughs> I even like the, the, this. Uh, and so if you put your advertising hat on, I, I, I can see the advert now. I can see, I can see uh, the advert where you have all of the business people sitting around the table having their meeting. And then they've got the new hire come in, who's the kid who's wearing the inappropriate clothing. And then he like... Uh, has a little game on his iPhone uh, and everyone's looking at him like, who are you kid? And then the series people have their phones with like the little keyboard on it and they're sending the messages and the work messages. And you could see something to try and like, just knock home that image and try and reinforce like, look, if you're a business person, this is what you need. This is like, you know, you don't go to work. I mean, if the tech company, maybe you go to work in your ripped jeans and your t-shirt, but if you're going to a serious workplace, you have to dress up for work. And this is your serious getting dressed up phone to be yeah. a serious person who can be taken seriously by your the equivalent of a suit <laughs> right right the equivalent of like a, a power suit or a you know your shirt with a collar um the other option is you just try and uh keep up with everyone else uh you embrace touch screens early uh and you try and be what samsung grew into you try and become the competitor to apple who is making fundamentally similar products but you just get really really good at building high and medium and low end ones that appeal to different people um, and, and just be a very conventional phone company, um, but just have really good uh, consumer research and really good execution on delivering it. So that there's your more generic strategy that, that, that maybe could have worked for them because they had such a, a big head start on a lot of field. It could have done a lot. It's a shame they're not here. It, it was a really, I mean, I do miss my BlackBerry. It was a really good product. But hey technically, <laughs> technically speaking, they are still around. They, they, there's a few companies that they license in India and Indonesia. And uh, I think all of one of those deals is ending soon. So there are a few places licensed to make official BlackBerry products, but they're not a major player in the, the phone market in yeah. the West, at least anymore. So what, what, are, what are clever ideas have worked, Dawn? I think it would. So we had two different options there. One was that differentiation strategy of, and we'll come back to differentiation strategy in another podcast, but this idea of becoming niche and differentiating yourself from everybody else by being special. So attacking that business market and this other one of being, okay, you're another me too product, but lots of variety and you're kind of appealing to everybody that wide appeal. I think for me, the key is about understanding the customer though, is it's going back to that notion of what's the core benefit what is it that people are actually buying when they're buying a phone? Because frequently it's not actually a phone. Right. The benefit you're getting isn't the ability to make a phone call. It's all those other things. Right, right. I mean, and to be fair, that means that they still have to be very, very skilled at their engineering and they have to manage their employees to understand that they have everyone working in the same direction and they have to get all of their other things lined up so that they can do the really difficult things it takes to build a really, really good phone. But unless they've got that user interface and that consumer research lined up to figure out what it is that their phones need to do for people, the rest of it just kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. And for me, I see that as starting with marketing and letting marketing then drive some of the engineering and design decisions rather than you do the engineering and design and then you give the product to marketing and tell them to sell it. So for me, that's, that's the difference. It, it's where does the idea start? Does it start from the tech or does it start from the customer's point of view? 
So like we think of some examples of, of people who've got their, their marketing right. Uh, yeah, so there's a few. So I, I particularly like, for instance, Virgin Transport, so Virgin Rail, Virgin Air, um, and the way that they their core benefit is all around service and taking the hassle out. So when I used to get, I used to get the Pentolino service quite often between Manchester and London. The day before you travel, they'd send you an email with the, the weather. They'd say, don't forget to take an umbrella, it's going to be raining. Or they'd send you a voucher for a free cup of coffee. Or lots of little bits like that that kind of take the hassle, take some of the nerves out of doing the trip. So that's one where I think the company really understands what's going on in the customer's mind. Um, I think that, I, you know, and they kind of allay some of those fears. There are lots of others, but if you've got a good I, example... I, I actually have another Virgin example. Many years ago, I had a, a Virgin mobile phone for obscure reasons that aren't worth exploring at any length. Uh, it, it wasn't major choice, but I, I, I found myself landed with this Virgin mobile phone. And it's the only time I've had, you know, so you'd have to call in to get your text messages. And it's the only time I've had that I've called in to get messages and like not have my blood pressure go up every year, right? Because normally, normally you know, thank you for your call. It's very important to us. Please listen to all, and you're just going, just tell me my messages, tell me my messages, uh, right? And there's sort of some officials pounding press, and you know, for one, press this, for you know, for this, press what? I'm like, that's not what I want, just get, right? Whereas the Virgin one, it was like, hi, I'm Yasmin. Uh, uh, hey, do you want to do this? This is what we've got and this is what we've got. And it was just this kind of conversational chatty voice that you felt relaxed and you'd be like, yeah, that is what I want. Oh, hi, Yasmin. And it was a small thing. It's a tiny little detail, right? And I mean, it was pitched at people who were younger than me, but even though I wasn't in their demographic for this phone, uh, it just I was chatty and conversational and made me feel relaxed. And it took this tiny little pain point and made it into something that wasn't painful. Um, and, I, and I think that's one of the things that Virgin do really, really well is they just take the pain out of stuff. Their core benefit is that whatever service they deliver, it's done with a lot less pain than the way anybody else does it. I mean, it's the reason I have a Virgin credit card. It's the reason I fly Virgin if I'm flying and, you know, I have a choice. And we tend to think of uh, core benefit being like, well, I, you deliver transportation because you're a car or you deliver communication because you're a phone. But Virgin, uh, the exception that proves this rule, right? They have wine, record stores, holidays, planes, you name trains. it. Trains, phones. Banking. So, <laughs> banking. Right. Uh, another one, uh, maybe one more example. Uh, I mean, you think about grocery stores, they're you know, viciously competitive and there's a couple of big chains that dominate everything. So how do you have a core benefit that delivers all of that, but is still a little bit different? One example would be the co-op, right? So they have food and banking and, and the same things that a lot of the other shops have, but they are add in this benefit about being fair and eco-friendly and sustainable. And they charge something of a premium for it. So food there is not, not the cheapest food that you'll find uh, at any supermarket, but people will buy it anyway, uh, sometimes because they feel they, uh, a little less of a, a prick in their conscience about. Yeah, the I mean, if, if you want to go shopping and you want to shop responsibly and socially, if you go to 
if you go to a supermarket normally that takes you a bit of time because every packet you pick up you've got to look for the fair trade logo or the whatever it is logo the sustainable fish logo or whatever it is so there's quite a lot of mental work that you have to do when you're doing your shop if you're doing it in one of the big four supermarkets for instance if you go to the co-op you know that all of that work has already been done by somebody else so if you want to shop with a conscience but don't have the headspace to work out how your conscience needs to shop the co-op do that for you and their big core benefit is is that they run this kind of very equitable um fair system i mean that's where the co-op started that was part of their foundation it's, it's absolutely baked in and sometimes you grab these things as baked in it was there from the beginning it was their whole raison d'etre um so that's the way that, the co-op operates so that core benefit of having a morally astute and socially aware shop but without having to put in all the effort is their core benefit for me let's see if we can wrap this thing up uh, and summarize this thing we We've been talking today about boot camp lesson one. Know what your customers get out of your product. Know what the core benefit is or could be for them because that's the thing they're paying for. Uh, when they buy your phone, they're not buying glass and wires. They're not buying uh, your, your noise or your silence or your smell, uh, not your encryption. They're not buying your little keyboard. They are paying for fun or security or to make some problem go away. And understanding that, I think, is the absolute key. Not just what they get out of it, but what they want out of it. So how, how do you do this, Don? Uh, we're talking to uh, some people who are just interested in marketing on the off, but probably some people who want to do marketing and say, right, I've got my product. How do I work out what my core benefit is? Um, okay, well, there's a couple of things you can do. One is you can watch people and watch how they interact with the product either your own product or what you might consider to be your competitor's product. That might be one thing you do. Sometimes though, that's a bit too late. You kind of add in the marketing spin on after you've developed the product. Sometimes it's about just watching how people operate and the things they do and the pain that they have. And then saying, actually, can I make a product that takes some of that pain away from that life? Can I make that operation with fewer clicks of the button? Can I make that journey with fewer changes, fewer hassle? Can I take some of the hassle out of it, some of the pain out of it? If pain is what, you, you know, that kind of pain and hassle is what you think customers want to get rid of. Actually, some people quite like having a bit of complexity. They like a challenge. But yeah. understanding that is part of the mix. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, really, I mean, how do you do it? Well, it's difficult. It's really, really hard. It is hard. difficult. But you have to be just a really keen observer of people and then combine that with sort of having an imagination to try and work out different things that they might like to try out. Yeah. So, so being a really keen observer and understanding of people and then match that with some, some technical understanding of your field and some creativity about what you can do. And look, you can try and get these insights informally. Um, you can also do it formally. You can pay the pros to do it for you, right? There are market research companies up and down the company, country uh, and around the world 
who, I mean, you, you can pay them to just test an advert. We've got advert one and advert two and run this and which one do people react better to. But you can also pay them to do consumer insight research and yeah, you can spend a lot of money and they will happily charge you lots and lots of money to try and work out some consumer insights that might be in the jargon of the field actionable. Um, and if you're making a big investment, it's worth spending the money to get really, really good insight and really solid evidence before you make a decision. But at the end of it, quite often, there's, there's an element of intuition in there. There's an element of understanding human nature and understanding what people want and how people want to work or connect yeah. or use a product. So, yeah, you, but you don't have to spend big bucks on it. Sometimes it's just about paying attention. It's just about listening, thinking, observing. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really about even the difference between listening and hearing. Not just listening yeah, to people, but re really hearing what they say and really hearing what they mean and really hearing how, how they understand it and how they could come to understand it. Or you can end up like BlackBerry. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you've killed BlackBerry there or our podcast. Uh, <laughs> so why don't we call it quits for the day uh, and we'll talk Good to people. To <laughs> <laughs> okay see you soon Alex see you soon